0: What's up, everyone? My name is Stephanie, and you're listening to Every Story Written, where we redeem literature through critical thinking and love of the truth. Today, we're going to explore the treasures of the classic adventure novel, Kidnapped, by Robert Louis Stevenson. Warning, this podcast episode does contain plot points and spoilers. So if you are a person such as myself that does not like my books to be spoiled, then I suggest you read the book first and come back and take a listen later. The nights are long. The nights are long and filled with tears of the mind, as trembling coughs roll through strained lungs. Speaking in hushed, comforting tones, his father crafts characters and conversations out of thin air to soothe the sick boy to sleep for yet another night of restless insomnia. His beloved nurse, nicknamed Cummy, feeds young Robert on a steady diet of catechisms by morning light and ghost stories by evening fire shaping his character and imagination. The only son of a lighthouse engineer and his wife, the boy is pampered, educated, and raised in Edinburgh, Scotland, to understand that he is deeply loved and dangerously fragile. This is the upbringing of the man whom we call Robert Louis Stevenson, the soil fertilized with both terror and glory from which his rich imaginings grew. We could explore his first novel, The History of Moses, which he dictated to his mother at the age of six. Or his famous horror novel, which reflects on the duality of man, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Or perhaps the most beloved pirate story of all time, Treasure Island. Though worthy subjects, each on their own, today we find ourselves swept away by his coming-of-age adventure novel, set in the heathered hills of Scotland, titled Kidnapped.
1: Say, what day is it again? I've quite lost track of the days. This glorious day is Friday. Friday, September 1st, 1876 to be exact. Remind my aching back and bug-bitten arms, why are we doing this again? For the thrill of life, my dear Walter. The thrill of life is its own reward. My entire youth I dreamt of paddling down such waterways with the sun on my skin and the bees humming lazily along the banks. A sore back is a small price to pay for the riches that we have encountered, for the soul, and for fuel, for the imagination. High words coming from a man who is paying a high physical price. You should have heard the way you were coughing last night. Oh, the coughing passed, and I am alive and well this morning, more than if I had stayed at home. I was laying in the hotel bed last night contemplating our adventure thus far, and a terrifying revelation struck me. Allow me to read what I have written. It occurred to me that I might not only be the first to read these passages, but the last as well. That I might have pioneered this very smiling tract of country all in vain, and find not a soul to follow in my steps. The more I thought, the more I disliked the notion, until the distaste grew into a sort of panic terror. And I rushed into this preface, which is no more than an advertisement for the readers the country of France thanks you for boosting their river tourist economy. They may not know who I am now, but mark my words. The world will know the name of Robert Louis Stevenson before my time here is done. Now 50 miles awaits us, let's put some paddling along in this chatter.
0: Kidnap was loosely based on the still unresolved real life murder of Colin Campbell of Glens and was originally published as a boy's novel in 1886 in the magazine Young Folks. It is not hard to imagine young boys all over Europe eagerly turning the pages to follow the perilous adventures of David Balfour, a 17-year-old orphan who is kidnapped while on the quest to claim his inheritance and establish his name. What is hard to imagine is the five foot, 10 inches, 116 pound Robert Louis Stevenson paddling a canoe from Antwerp, Belgium, to northern France, a 200-mile journey. Stevenson's lust for life had propelled him up out of the pampered sickbed to pursue a life of reading, writing, and adventure, much to his parents' concern and much to his readers' delight. Herein lie the devices that Kidnapped utilizes to delight readers of all ages across the span of time the thrill of the joys and sorrows of life as experienced on the canvas of adventure, and the universal themes of honor and friendship as seen in vibrant characters and their foils. Let's unpack that, shall we? Starting with some basic logic. If you are listening to this, it is a known fact that you are alive. If you are alive, it is a known fact that life is filled with highs and lows, joys and sorrows, victories and defeats, and much of the time, life is spent transitioning between the two and occasionally experiencing both at the same time. Readers of all ages and backgrounds are able to connect to Kidnapped because we experience these highs and lows with David Balfour. The book begins with teenager David Balfour fending for himself in a big, volatile world after both his parents died. He walks two days to the house of Shaw in hope of inheriting part of the estate where his uncle currently lives. As the reader walks with David and is given glimpses into his inner thoughts, we feel both the isolation and sorrow of the loss of family, and the hope and excitement of a new opportunity. We then feel the sting of disappointed hopes alongside David as he encounters a half-built house and a hostile, stingy uncle for a last living relative like a boat rising and falling on the waves. Here are the key highs and lows that the audience experiences with David throughout the novel. Low, nearly falling to his death off a hazardous staircase that his uncle told him to climb in the dark during a storm in hopes that he would fall. High, the hopes of talking with an honest lawyer to sort out his inheritance. Low, getting kidnapped, wounded on the head and falling deathly ill in the hold of a ship with little comfort or care from his captors. High, healing and seeing life from a new perspective on the high seas. Low, getting shipwrecked and being a victim to heat, hunger, cold and depression while trapped on an islet. High, getting off the islet, eating food, warming his feet by the fire, sleeping deeply in a comfortable bed and being cared for by a compassionate villager who doesn't even speak his language. Lo, witnessing and being blamed for the murder of Colin Campbell of Glenure, right in front of him because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Hi, meeting up with his dear friend Alan again and the thrill of being on the threshold of the adventure and escape that awaits them. Low, extreme physical suffering to the point of exhaustion almost unto death, as they walk for days and sleep under the stars with little food. Within these lows, there are some highs. And then finally high, reaching the safety of Edinburgh, Scotland, where he confronts his uncle and claims his inheritance. No, most of us will never be shipwrecked in our lifetime. You will probably never feel the terror of a mass creaking above you and the entire world under your feet tilt sideways toward the black raging whirlpools below. But you will most likely know the terrifying feeling of being subject to circumstances out of your control that threaten something or someone you love. Most of us will never trek through the unforgiving highlands of Scotland being unjustly pursued by an army but we do know the weariness of trekking through an unbearably long and arduous trial. The beauty of well-written literature is that it uses words, emotions, characters, and the rising and falling of plot to build imitation worlds with which our very real world can meet and interact with. The beauty of the best book ever written, the Bible, is that it shows us that the living God, holy and set apart from us in an unreachable realm of his own, has become a man to meet us in our world of mortal flesh and misery. In a beautiful mystery, God is intimate with us to understand and sovereignly allow every circumstance and emotion that we experience daily. And at the same time, he calls us to look beyond ourselves and our circumstances and to seek first his kingdom. Whatever you are currently experiencing, Jesus sees it. Promotions, pregnancies, answered prayers, birthday candles, Jesus sees it. Deaths, sickness, car crashes, devastating robberies, Jesus also sees it. God, in his perfect wisdom, power, and love, so reigns over every inch of the seen and unseen universe that all things submit to his touch and voice. He is never the author of evil, but wields circumstances with his mighty hand so as to bring good out of evil. The hard heart of man often thinks we rule our own destinies, create our own successes, and battle our own way out of difficulties with our own strength. But we cannot take a breath without his permission. The life that sees with the eyes of faith knows that there is no more free and joyous soul than the one that submits to God's authority, even when life is crushing and perplexing.
1: My parents think I'm throwing my life away. My father desperately wants me to follow in his footsteps and be a lighthouse engineer. And what's the harm in that? That seems to me an excellent vocation. Perhaps the right job for the right man. But who wants to build trinkets with brick and clay when one can construct entire worlds with pen and ink? Gone are the days where I lay chained to my bed, pampered to the point of suffocation. I want to explore the world. I want to see new places and meet new people, and most of all, I want to write about my adventures so others can explore them too. And where would these explorations take you? Austria, Germany, Belgium, Italy, to name a few. I would travel across the plains of America by train and the southern seas by boat. summers in the cool of England, and winters in the warmth of France. Such dreams you have in that mind of yours. And why not? Who is to say that one man's dream is to work, and another's is to see the world, and one is better than the other? To pacify my parents, I have agreed to study law and obtain a degree. But this will never pacify my restless soul, and soon enough I will travel and write. The way you speak, I cannot doubt it. The hour is late, and I must retire to my home and wife, but you will have to come find me again, Mr. Stevenson, and tell me more visions of the world. It would be my delight. Good night, Mr. Goss. Good night. Quote from Edmund Goss. As twilight came on, I tore myself away, but Stevenson walked with me across Hyde Park and nearly to my house. He had an engagement, and so had I, but I walked a mile or two back with him. The fountains of talk had been unsealed, and they drowned the conventions. I came home dazzled with my new friend. End quote.
0: In addition to connecting to the joys and sorrows of David Balfour, the second reason people of all ages across the span of time relate to kidnapped is because of the universal themes of honor and friendship, as seen in vibrant characters and their foils. the modern Western culture is not driven by shame and honor, I'd like to believe that we can still understand it and pursue it to some degree. Young David Balfour is an example of the coming-of-age story of a young man learning his place in the world as he grows into manhood. Though young, David's honor is put on display throughout the book in various situations, undoubtedly as Stevenson's encouragement for young boys to pursue the same trait. David is unashamedly loyal to his king and country, in a land where it is unpopular and even dangerous to do so. He is gracious to hold back revenge after his uncle tries to send him to his death. He commits to do the right thing no matter the cost, like when he chooses to warn the man, Alan, of the plot against his life, knowing that this will make him an enemy of the pirates. After being told by the pirates to stealthily grab the pistol in the room where Alan is eating, David says this, I was still arguing it back and forth and getting no great clearness when I came into the roundhouse and saw the Jacobite eating his supper under the lamp. And at that, my mind was made up all in a moment. I walked right up to the table and put my hand on his shoulder. Do you want to be killed, said I, I am no thief nor yet murderer. I'll stand by you. In this moment, we witness the birth of a powerful and unlikely friendship with another man of honor, Alan Breck Stewart, a friendship that drives the remainder of the novel. While David's honor feels quiet, reliable, and strong, Alan's honor is like a loud, clanging cymbal bragging for attention and yet unwilling to break its own set code of morals. Alan Stewart is the archetype dashing rogue. He is an experienced swordsman, marksman, and guide and has a larger than life personality that will never stand down from a fight nor give up in a challenge. From the moment David saves his life, Alan and David are bonded with a mutual respect and admiration. Following their shipwreck on the island of Mull on the far west coast of Scotland, David and Alan travel an astonishing 230 miles on foot through the highlands of Scotland to Edinburgh, the capital on the east side of Scotland. Fun fact, there is a real-life trail called Stevenson Way in Scotland that tourists can walk following the same path that David and Alan took. Seeing Stevenson's love for adventure, I'm sure he would be thrilled and encourage people to walk it. David and Alan take a stand against a crew of pirates together, sleep side by side under the cold, starry nights, and argue and make up like close friends do. When the warrant for Alan's arrest is released, Alan's description and name are indisputably condemning, while the description of Alan's traveling partner, being David, is vague. It would have been safer and easier for David to travel alone, but he proves his loyalty to Alan by sticking with him. Alan on his part takes David under his wing and guides him over the hills of Scotland, introducing him to the many clan chiefs with whom they take refuge. David and Alan grow in increasing respect and admiration for one another as they observe one another's words and actions under stressful situations even though they may disagree on issues such as the administering of justice or the authority of the king. To understand this friendship and this novel better, we need to take a brief look at Scottish history. In the mid-1700s, the Scottish clans in the north, who call themselves Jacobites, were loyal to the dethroned King James II, even though they were under the rule of the Whigs, who supported the reigning king, William of Orange. Stevenson chose to write a bond of friendship between David, who is a lowlander Whig, and Alan Breck, a highlander Jacobite, in hopes of offering a fresh perspective of a group of people who were looked down upon. Stevenson's original audience would most likely be boys around Europe and in the south of Scotland who might have a negative view of the history of the northern Jacobite clans. Often, We are drawn to people who are like us, or attracted to traits which we have a natural, predisposed preference for. There is nothing wrong with this, for we cannot help the way that we are designed. But true friendship, or rather true love, goes beyond preference and into commitment. If you are only interacting with like-minded people or your peers, you are missing out, especially in the realm of the church, where there is so much to learn from the saints who have gone before us. Talk to your grandma. Talk to the person next to you waiting for the bus. Talk to the mailman. Talk to your four year old neighbor. Talk to the people you don't agree with, but respectfully and with grace. Hold firmly to God's truth and to your convictions, and then go out and learn from someone who is not you. What we see of the honor and friendship in David and Alan we see lacking in the foil character of Ebenezer, David's uncle. When Ebenezer and Alexander, who is David's father, were in love with the same woman, they made a deal that Alexander would get to marry her and Ebenezer would inherit the house. Ebenezer has let greed and paranoia consume him and his estate has fallen into dishevelment while he hoards his wealth in locked chests. And yet, The reader cannot help but pity the sad wretch of a man whose selfishness has brought so much misery upon his own head. In a ploy to pressure a confession out of Ebenezer that he paid for David to be kidnapped, Alan pretends that David is his slave back in the highlands and asks whether David should be killed or kept safe. Killed or kept, repeated Alan. Oh, keep it, keep it, wailed my uncle will have nigh bloodshed if you please.
1: In
0: 1890, Stevenson purchased a 400-acre estate in Upalu, one of the Samoan Islands. He was given the name Tusitala. Samoan for story writer, and loved the people as much as they loved him. Upon his death, his epitaph was translated to a Samoan song of grief, which is well-known and still sung in Samoa. This is the epitaph he wrote for himself, entitled Requiem, as read by Jim Clark.
1: Under the wide and starry sky, dig the grave and let me lie. Glad did I live and gladly die, and I laid me down with a will. This be the verse ye grave for me. Here he lies where he longed to be. Home is the sailor, home from sea, and the hunter home from the hill.
0: Joys and sorrows, honor and greed, miles of open seas and heathered hills. This short novel, penned by a frail yet vivacious man, relates the adventures of David Balfour in such an enchanting manner that all peoples can connect with and learn from him. I invite you to be delighted by Kidnapped, whose short chapters allow to be broken up over the course of a week or two, just as easily to be consumed in one sitting. Thank you for listening to this episode of Every Story Written. I'm so glad we get to journey through this brief life together. As always, go out there, live some adventures, and be blessed. Every story will be written soon.
1: To the end, to the end,